Greetings programs, you're listening to Geek Top 5, the podcast, the world's number one podcast that features Jesse and Graham. Hey! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're here to talk to you about the top five things that interested us and thought might interest you. So, let's jump right into it with number five. Uh, a little bit in the movie rumors news, as sort of seems to be our want these days. I'm not even sure, is it rumors or is it actually confirmed that we're looking at an Indiana Jones 5? Uh, the big names are on board, and by that I mean Spielberg and Harrison Ford are have both confirmed that they want to do it and they're they're ready to go. Uh, Disney has the license now. I'm sure they want to revive that franchise and make it as profitable as possible. So it uh, it looks like it's going to happen. Um, I don't know how to feel about it. There's definitely some mixed feelings. Um, a lot of folks are big fans of the Indiana Jones trilogy. Um, the Indiana Jones 4, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, was less well-received. Now, I saw it years and years ago in theaters. I've only seen it the once. You watched it last night. I watched it for the first time last night in preparation for this podcast. Um, and you know what? It wasn't Attack of the Clones. It wasn't a war crime. Um, I can definitely see why some people were upset. And the introduction of the Mutt character, played by Shia LaBeouf, to essentially be Indiana Jones Jr., yeah. Which I guess technically is Indiana Jones Jr. Jr. Yeah. The third. The third, right. <laughs> um, but generally, it sort of took it in a weird direction with the, with the aliens and the sort of strange set pieces that didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I remember one of the things that bugged me about it was that, it, at least as memory serves, in the original Indiana Jones trilogy, there, Indy is always skeptical about the supernatural stuff, and then finally something happens at the end that... that blows his know, mind. Blows his mind. He can't deny it. But from the word go in this one, he's all on board for the crystal skulls and the aliens and the telepathy and all that stuff. Yeah, there was a very brief scene where he goes, no, that's not true, and the Russian lady says, oh, yes, is absolutely true. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but it, it had some troubles. I, I think it sort of unavoidably fell into the pitfall that so many movies these days seem to always rely on way too much CGI. Like the Shia LaBeouf swinging through this, the air. Yeah, on, doing the Tarzan swinging from yeah, vine to vine with, with all the monkeys. bunch of monkeys. That seemed completely superfluous. Yeah. It was just added as a dumb set piece. Uh, so it adds... I guess that's one of two specters overshadowing Indy 5 being a good movie. The first, that the last one they made wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. Second one being that Harrison Ford... I mean, don't get me wrong. Blade Runner Harrison Ford is one of the most attractive men in the world to me. <laughs> but Harrison Ford is now 73? 73. And this movie's not supposed to come out till 2019. Yeah, so... Harrison Ford is like, going to be very, very old. And a lot of people are saying in his defense, you know, he came out and he did all those action scenes in uh, in Force Awakens. And he's, you know, a 70-year-old man in that, too. But he did break his leg, you know? It wasn't... He, he didn't go through it without some pitfalls, yeah. you know? There were some problems. And let's be fair, a lot of those action scenes were him posing dramatically with a blaster. Yeah. Um, he wasn't, you know, sword fighting or punching guys or jumping into tanks. Yeah. Indiana Jones is a lot more active. Yeah. And I don't know that it's going to work. Now, uh, the question is, are they going to cast him as an old grumpy, you know, used to be Indiana? Like, essentially, is he going to be playing Sean Connery's role from The Last Crusade? Well... I feel like that ship has sailed. You know, once you introduce uh, Indiana Jones Jr. Jr. in the last movie, you've set the the franchise up for that. And I don't think Mutt was received all that well. And I don't think... I, I don't know. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. But I don't think they're going to bring Shia LaBeouf back and, and carry on that, that Yeah, The actor franchise. does seem like he's been troubled of late. And uh, yeah. hasn't been making... You know, been starring in a lot of big blockbusters lately. When he does show up in movies, he tends to be really good. He was great in Fury, the tank movie by the director of Suicide Squad. That was great, and he was great in it because he fully commits. But I don't know if he's blockbuster material. A lot of people have been talking about Chris Pratt taking on the uh, the whip and the, the fedora or whatever it is. It's essentially not that much of a departure from the Star-Lord character. I mean, he's yeah. even dressed appropriately. Yeah. But, um... I would feel more comfortable about Indy 5 if it didn't have Harrison Ford in it. Now, here's here's my feelings. Uh, I've got two more, like, thoughts on this. A lot of people consider the last one, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a bad movie. But a lot of people also thought uh, Temple of Doom was bad. And they came back, like, gangbusters with Last Crusade. Like, that movie is 
my favorite of the series and one of my favorite movies of all time. That is a fantastic movie. So maybe Spielberg wants to make good again and do a proper sequel, a proper way to finish it up the franchise. Now this will begin to make things right again. Yeah. The other thought I have on it is a big component of the indie franchise is George Lucas. And as far as I've seen, no one said a word about him. Like, with the last one, it was all about, you know, Spielberg was like, well, this is George's character, so long as George has an idea, we're going to keep doing it. They were all, it was all very much Three Amigos. This time, Harrison Ford specifically said, it's got to, it's got to have two things for me to come back. Steven Spielberg and a good script. No mention of George Lucas. Not a lot of mention of George Lucas, who's definitely sort of on the outs with Disney right now. Yeah, so that seems to be the, the scuttlebutt anyway. Yeah. Well, so far not a lot of details released, but we'll have to look in and keep an eye on it. Geek Top 5's opinion, keep your collar tugged. <laughs> Next up, in the world of futurology again, <laughs> fun little uh, diversion on Microsoft's part. Microsoft recently released an AI chatbot, just called T-A-Y, essentially to, uh, designed mostly as a publicity stunt, but to appeal to millennials and engage them over social media. Um... Anyone who's been on social media could sort of see this coming. The chatbot lasted 24 hours before it became a racist, homophobic, misogynistic... Uh, it became everyone on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in that way, it did what, exactly what it was supposed to do. It blended in seamlessly with the rest of Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft has since taken it down and promised they're looking at vulnerabilities for the thing. Now, let's be clear... Part of what happened is that there was a way to sort of compel the chatbot into repeating what you sent it. So that's almost, it's a Simon Says game. You want to say something horrible, it can say something horrible. But it's also, I mean, not learning in the general sense, but it also would absorb this information and repeat it later. Um, and an example of one that it wasn't a direct, you know, just repeat what I say, was someone asked it about Ricky Gervais being an atheist, and it it replied that Ricky Gervais learned totalitarianism from Hitler, the original inventor of atheism. Oh my god. Right? So, interesting note, this is not the only one of these chatbots that's ever come out. There are others before. Microsoft even has one in China. Um, I believe it's pronounced Xiao Ice. I'm not sure. Um, China, which has a lot of restrictions on what you're allowed to say on the internet, that chatbot's doing fine. Mm. But this one... Barely made it a full day. Now, there's two things to take away from this, I think. The first, of course, being that it looks like we're getting closer and closer to AI, and we really need to stop intentionally writing the Terminator movie in real life. Yeah. Can we please stop making these super-powerful potential intelligences hate us? Along those lines, did you see that weird robot that looked like a woman that could interact with people and help with medical stuff? There's a lot of Man. weird robots coming. That one was so creepy in Terminator-esque. It was like human enough that it could almost pass but not enough so that it just ended up in the uncanny valley where your brain just screams whenever you see mm -hmm. it which again comes into a whole thing about how we're going to react to you know just even if it's not ai even if it's just robots how do we integrate them into life but if we're going to integrate them into real life why does everyone have to be a jerk to it and maybe a better question is why you guys got to be such jerks on the internet all the time yeah do we need Chinese-like restrictions on what we can yeah. say? <laughs> I mean, most people, I mean, certainly you know, coming here from Canada, the land of the free, above the land of the free, would tell you no, that you're allowed to speak your mind up to very certain limits. But that means that some people just, why do you want to intentionally be jerks? And let's be fair, I say this as a guy, I try to behave very politely on the internet. I still text in full sentences with commas and periods, but... I also play Mario Kart with my wife, and some of the horrible things we say to each other regarding each other's parentage and performance <laughs> in the bedroom as a reflection of how much we want to win first, like, that comes out. It's yeah. part of the game, and we laugh, but I say horrible things I don't mean to. Maybe it's different because it's in confidence to someone I know? Yeah, I also think there's something fun about ruining the experiments of a big corporate entity you know i not that i did it i did not participate in this uh, ai experiment but i think so long as i don't know as long as these people are going to put this stuff out there and leave it vulnerable to these kinds of attacks people are going to exploit it for the lulls you know? so you sort of see this as sort of like a white hat hacker kind of thing 
is where you hack into the Pentagon and then go, see, I did it to prove to you that you're vulnerable and you need to work on your security. Well, I I don't know if it's a white hat thing. At best, it's a gray hat sort of situation. <laughs> but I think it's it's like one of those things, that a lesson that should have been learned 10 years ago. It's like those the Bodie McBoatface thing where there was a poll recently to name this ship in the UK and the uh, people were able to put in whatever entry they want. So that the winning entry was Bodie McBoatface. You know, you gotta you gotta know stuff like that's gonna happen. It's just it's strange that it's what is it that compels us to take something and destroy it? <laughs> to take something that could have been so wonderful. Some people just want to see the world burn. Yeah, and they might if we keep treating AIs this way. Yeah. As when the singularity comes, you know, I don't want to be there when Boston Dynamics becomes sentient. <laughs> Especially if these are the people it's learned to behave with. Moving on now, number three. Um, speaking again of Star Wars a bit earlier, uh, Star Wars Battlefront, um, the remake of a classic Star well, yeah, classic Star Wars franchise gaming series. Not quite, but pretty much a tie-in to The Force Awakens, definitely capitalized on the hype of the movie to promote the game. Um, very troubled critical reviews. It's a very expensive game with not a lot of meat in the package. Very surface area stuff. I, I will say this in its defense, though. It did sell me a PlayStation 4. It's you know what it's a it's a blast to play. We've both been playing the fighter squadron mode a lot. There's definitely stuff there. Financially, it's been a success. Yeah. Critically, folks wish there was a lot more to it. It's yeah. definitely a very surface level arcadey experience. It's, just the bare bones version of it is expensive. You know, I went out of my way to find a PlayStation Four package that came with it, so I wouldn't have to buy it separately because it's just that expensive. Absolutely. If you wanted everything right out of the box, and let's be clear, you don't get it all out of the box, but you'll get it as the stuff is released. It was over a hundred and fifty dollars Canadian. A lot of money for the Crazy. video game. Now. Why this is in the news again is their first big batch of downloadable content is out. New maps, new stuff, new characters to play as. This is it. The complaints that the game was hollow, now they're going to fill it up. They're finally releasing all this stuff, including two new characters you can play as. The characters you've always wanted to play, Greedo and Nian Num. Yeah, I mean, Wow. They, what's their collective screen time in the movies, do you think? What, how many people listening to this know who these people are? In case you need to know, Greedo is the green-skinned Rodian bounty hunter. If you don't know who Greedo is, you definitely don't know what a Rodian is. That's fair. He's the guy that Han shot first. And Nian Num is the guy who looks like his cheeks are pancakes, and he's sitting next to Lando Calrissian in the Falcon during the second Death Star fight. Yeah. These characters are playable before other characters such as, oh, I don't know, Chewbacca is not playable yet. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, not playable yet. Lando Calrissian. Lando Calrissian, who was sitting right next to him. It, no, we start with Greedo and Nien Num. And people are going, why? Yeah. Why? What do they possibly add? It sounds like some of their, their bonus effects are kind of cool, but... But in terms of what you're doing with this game, and this is the way this game was marketed. It was, your living Star Wars. Right. Remember, the commercials for this game literally had people disappearing and reappearing in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Or the guy in the office who yeah. jumps out of the window of his office and lands on an X-Wing. The commercial that brought many middle-aged men to tears. I, I, I'm sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's just, and this, and this is something that's carrying over their other stuff. You know, the new maps aren't that new. It's like it's a small part of another map we've already played that you can now use in another mode. It has people wondering just what's up? Why can't we get the stuff we obviously want? It also seems like uh, with those heroes in particular, Greedo and Yen Yum, it's uh, it, it was like the easiest possible characters to add because they already had Rodian heads and Celestian heads that you could pick for your own character. So now they the heads are already there. They're not the most diverse looking species in the world, and so it's easy to just take those heads off and give them slightly new bodies. And you know they both carry blasters. So there yeah. isn't a unique. It seems like it was definitely very easy for them. Well, comparatively easy to put together. I understand. Making video games is very hard. Yeah, especially and, these days. And those people work very hard. Yeah. But compared to what we wanted, I mean, obviously everyone wanted to play the Force Awakens characters, none of whom are in this game. I, who knows why? Yeah, they, they actually they came out and said that they couldn't release Force Awakens characters because it would mess with the canon because they didn't take place at the same time. I, I just. 
It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so one, that's crazy because the game has no linear story. You're not tied into a certain year or anything. And second, it's crazy because you're breaking canon all over the place. Yeah. You have Luke in his Jedi outfit on Hoth yeah. having a lightsaber battle with you know, against Boba Fett. Yeah. That didn't happen in the movies. That wasn't <laughs> canon either. I get a little worked up about this kind of stuff. I apologize. It's like, if you're going to come up with an excuse, have it make sense, you know? At least just say... We don't have the license to their faces, or something like that, where I could be like, oh, I understand. I understand. Maybe Johnny Boyega doesn't want his face in the game. Which is clearly not true. Clearly not true. But it would be a more reasonable explanation than, oh, it's not canon. Yeah. Now, so in this case, you know, the news is just, like, we don't know why they've done this, but they've done it. There's more stuff out there. If you're a fan of the game, you can get it. If you got the season's pass, you you already got it. You can download it. Otherwise, it's something like 20 bucks to download. Became available March 22nd, I believe. Doesn't seem to add a lot to the game. So you have the season's pass. I have the season's pass because Star Wars has me by the... uh, (laughs) By the Celestians. By the Celestians. (laughs) By Nyan-Nyam's cheeks. Uh, But I don't have the season's pass, and so far from what I've seen... I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything by not buying this right. this upgrade. Because not much was added. Yeah. It makes you wonder, how does that strategy work? We don't know. Maybe it's just a strange disconnect between the developers and the gamers. Maybe the publisher. It's published by Electronic Arts, who's won that coveted Worst Company in America award several times. <laughs> it's everyone's, a... everyone's fighting for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a shame, and we don't know why, and here at Geek Top 5, we want more Star Wars. Yeah. If you're going to charge $80 for uh, expansions to a game, you have to, if you're charging $80 for a game, and then another $80 so you get more of that same game, make it worthwhile, you know? Please. Yeah. Throw in some T-70X wings, throw in some cool characters. Yeah, the, the starship the- battles are a perfect place to add stuff. Because they're fun, but they're pretty bare bones right now. Yeah, there's not a lot of complexity to it. Yeah. There's still only two ships per side. Throwing heroes there. Like, you got, you know, the uh, Slave 1 sometimes, and the Millennium Falcon sometimes. Add more of those. I've been playing the, those battle modes, the Starfighter battle modes, a lot. I have so far never played as uh, the Millennium Falcon or the Slave 1. Why don't you throw in, like, Wedge's X-Wing or Poe's X-Wing? Something like that, just to add a bit more variety. Um, There's also tons of other cool ships out there. Besides all the different designs of Starfighters... A-wings, B-wings, Y-wings, E-wings, the all the TIE models, the Advanced, yeah. the Defender, all this stuff, all that material is there waiting to be monetized. Yeah. I can't understand why it's not, because I would love it and I would pay for it. So would a ton of other people. EA obviously did not respond to comments from Geek Top 5, the yeah. podcast, <laughs> so we will have to wait and see what else they release. Moving on now, number two. Staying in the world of video games, sort of, one or two of you out there have probably played Nintendo's Pokemon. Uh, I should hope so. Gotta catch them all. Uh, Some details finally came out earlier this week about Pokemon Go, the mobile app. um, Or the app that will destroy the world. (laughs) So just a quick recap before we go further about the Pokemon franchise. It's, It's a game where you are a little boy or girl and you're wandering around catching these feral creatures in the wild and then training them to be part of your team where you, and you go out and fight other people using your your monsters you your collect monsters, monsters you raise your monsters you fight monsters yeah it's uh, like crack it's it's very difficult to put down yeah. there's over 700 of these little monsters and all of them are effective against each other in different ways and at different times pokemon go let me lay this out from what we've seen is essentially an augmented reality application it's going to be running on your smartphone and it's going to have a live mapping of the area you're in using your GPS and your Google Maps and all that jazz. This app now is taking that out of the realm of Nintendo DS and Game Boy and into the real world. So you're going to be walking down the street one day and suddenly your phone's going to buzz. You're going to pick it up and it's going to tell you, oh, there's a, there's a squirtle nearby. And you're going to hold this thing up and you're going to use the camera and you're going to see the real world through it. But using augmented reality, oh, there's the squirtle. He's behind the car over there. And you're going to try to capture it. It's, it's what they've demonstrated. It's using flick motions. So you flick from the bottom hmm. to sort of create, you know, and then the, in the screen, the ball goes out to capture the monster. And then you bring them in, and that's just the capturing part. Then there are going to be real-life gyms. The gyms in the Pokemon universe are sort of like the, the clubhouses, where all the different Pokemon trainers get together 
to defend. I don't know if they're even holding territory. It just seems like a place for the player to go. It's not really well thought out in the game. It's not so about the you've story. You've got to get your badges from there, and then once you have all your badges, you go fight the... The, the the big the elite, elite four, four. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> jinx you owe me a coke um so then they're gonna be real life gym locations where you'll team up with other players and put your pokemon on the line and other trainers will come by to fight them the obvious question being if it's the middle of the day and you're at work are you gonna stop to go and capture it and further than that how distinct are the locations where the pokemon is going to be if you have a four-year-old with this app and the Squirtle's on the other side of a six-lane highway. That seems like a touchy subject. Right, but I think in a lot of a lot of ways that with entertainment, the you have to put some of the responsibility on the parent. You know, you it's like saying I've got HBO on my TV. If maybe that means my kid will accidentally watch porn, but that's on me as a parent. That's not HBO's fault. It's not HBO's fault, but HBO also isn't directly marketing, you know, Game of Thrones and Jessica Jones to six-year-olds. That's true, that's true. This game is directly tied into the heart of being a six-year-old. It's about these little kids going out on these grand adventures, and the con- and by collecting these monsters and making them more powerful and defeating other ones, it's like an ivy saline drip of achieving something. Yeah. Every little step in this game, you get rewarded. This your creature is now more powerful, or you've beaten this other creature and earned something, or you finally caught this. It's a stream of validation that, it's, like you said, it's like a crack habit. It's hard to put down. Yeah. Now, we're older than six years old. Admittedly, I played through the first one. I caught, back when it was only 151, I caught them all, I put it down, and I was done. But we know people our age who have bought this game 13 times, who have collected them all, yeah. who have who have made the badges in real life and wear them on their bag straps. <laughs> yeah. That, I guess, is the audience that would be best suited for this. But all the marketing for this game directed at such a young age makes me really nervous. It seems dangerous. I can't tell. Am I just being a crazy old man? I think you're you're probably being a little uh, overly concerned. I mean, Nintendo knows what they're doing. I, I believe that more than just about any other video game company out there. They know how to make games. They know what they're, they're doing in order to get the, these games into the hands of the people they want. And they're not going to deliberately put anyone in harm's way. I think there's going to be some intelligence around that, but and let me and let me, again maybe I need to amend my statement. What I'm not what I'm saying I'm not saying Nintendo is deliberately trying to lure children into traffic. <laughs> I'm not accusing them of that. Sure, I'm saying that just crossing this behavior over into the real world, where it's always on, where you can't shut it off, yeah. is what scares me. See now, I it scares me too, but for a different reason. And that reason is more financial. Uh, I can't imagine what the data charges will be on something like this. Like, I used... You know that game Watch Dogs that came out on the PlayStation 4? It's all about hacking and stuff. Or I think it was on PlayStation Xbox. It was on everything. It's a big release. And uh, I never ended up playing it, but I did get the tie-in app for it where real-world locations, you, you hack them and you own them. And so when you're going around town, there you see these things come up on this live map on your phone and you, you hack them as you go. I would use it on the bus on the way to work. It was... There was no skill involved. It was just like pressing buttons on the screen, but you accumulated points and stuff. And I like I went through my two gigs of data so fast with that thing because I was just constantly using it. It also drained the hell out of my battery. So those are where my concerns come in. And that's you know, that's just talking about the finances or data charges. You're not even thinking about microtransactions. Right. In the game now, if you want to capture these monsters, you need to get the little Pokeballs. And they sell them in stores. Now, of course, that's in-game money, but now we're in the real world. Right. If you try, you, you flick your finger across the screen and your ball misses the Pokemon and you're out of balls, I'm sure they'll be willing to sell you another try for $1.99. That does seem to be the way these apps Or work. 20 Pokeballs <laughs> for $15.99. It's a much better deal. Or 40 Pokeballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's... This yeah, you know, we've already heard these stories. It comes up with that Smurfs game a lot. You know, dad gives his son his kid's phone, and his kid buys four hundred dollars worth of Smurf berries. Right. To keep playing because the kid doesn't understand exactly what the limitations are, and it's not his money. Yeah, that too. Uh, it's going to be open for open season on that there too. This is going to be a great place to spend all your money very quickly. Yeah. That being said, I mean, Pokemon is a blast. 
people love Pokemon, and this is going to be taking it, like, you know, running around the park chasing a real Pokemon. Yeah. I can see how that could be a lot of fun for somebody. I'm just worried about the dark side of it. One last thing on it that they've been uh, touting as a positive feature of it is, is with most of the Pokemon games, even though they're on Game Boys, most people don't play Game Boy while they're walking around. But this game encourages that. It encourages you to go out and get exercise and go find these things and you... You level up your Pokemon based on the number of steps you take. So, and it's like a set number of steps. So, if you have to, if you want to get your Pikachu to a Raichu and it takes 50,000 steps, you're going to be getting exercise. Getting oh, so, you're steps. looking at this like a Poke Fitbit. It kind of seems like that's one of the ways they're pushing it. Another angle we hadn't considered. It scares me, but we'll see. <laughs> getting fit scares you? Terrifying. <laughs> All right, and now for number one. Probably the coolest thing that's happened since the last recording of this podcast. Batman, the Caped Crusader, versus, in a fight with, Superman, Man of Steel and the Son of Krypton, Dawn of Justice, the start of the Justice League, the movie, came out. Yes, indeed. Um, This is DC's, basically their big attempts to get in on that Avengers money. To get in on the big superhero team-ups. Doesn't look like it's doing quite as well as Avengers. Uh, financially, we're recording this on Saturday, so we don't know what the final uh, take for the weekend is going to be. But from what I read, their Thursday preview screenings pulled in more money than Age of Ultron did. So financially, so far, it seems like it's a good start. We'll see uh, how it goes. I, I have a feeling it's not going to pull in as many repeat views as some of these those right. other movies. And this did. is what we're this is what we're here to talk about: is the critical response. Yeah, it seems to have been a lot different. It seems like a lot of people are disappointed in this movie. Here's so I saw it on Thursday. My take on it is: if you liked Man of Steel, you'll probably like this. Personally, I it's a fine movie, Man of Steel, but it's not a Superman movie. And this is a fine movie as well. It's well shot and everything, but it's not a Superman movie, and it's certainly not a Batman movie. There's, I, I'm going to try to do my best not to spoil stuff, within reason. But uh, one of the things that's clear from the first trailer, and is clear in the movie too, is... Batman is really upset with all the collateral damage that happened in Man of Steel, where buildings got destroyed, including, uh, somewhat self-servingly, the Wayne Tower. So, I mean, oh, he's extra mad now. So he's all pissed off with that, and he thinks that Superman is potentially a menace. And yet, in the first scene where we see Batman actually doing Batman-y stuff, he does almost as much damage as Superman does. It starts to ring so hollow. And, you know... He never says in this movie that he doesn't use guns or he doesn't kill. And that's a good thing because all of his vehicles are just festooned with machine guns. He's shooting people constantly with those. He doesn't exactly have pistols when he jumps out and fights them uh, himself, but obviously not got a problem with guns, which is such a key part of the character. Now, my impression is that there's a fairly re- like relatively recent development with Batman. Is that true? Well, it's recent in so much as it's... Not from issue one, but it's within the first few issues, he stopped using a gun. Like, in in the first couple of issues of his uh, creation, he used a gun and killed villains. And then I think DC and Bob Kane, Bill Finger, realized that that isn't a good way to keep villains coming back. If you got to kill them and think up a new villain every month, you're going to run out of villains. But later writers have sort of massaged that into, like, guns killed his parents. Why would he want to use guns? Like, if he's trained himself to be as physically adept as possible, why would he use guns? Why would he shoot people? Like, killing is not heroic, for one thing, and it's not in his nature. He's, like, one of his creeds, one of the things that keeps him going as a character is the fact that he doesn't kill. And yet, he... he, there's a point where someone throws a grenade at him, he throws it back to those same henchmen, two of them get blown to smithereens. Doesn't bat an eyelash at it. It doesn't seem very superhero-y, even in the gritty, dark, you know, DC superhero universe we're going yeah. for. And that sort of seems to be what people were complaining about in Man of Steel as well. I know that's what bugged me about it, mm-hmm. is that it was a very strange, very violent, very hostile world yeah. that they seem to live it's in. It's so cynical. Like, there's... Everything that uh, Superman does, and it's sort of part of the plot, everything he does in Batman vs. Superman is twisted in some way to make him look somehow bad in it, and yet 
it's done in kind of a dumb way. Like, there's a part where he goes and saves Lois from these African warlords who have kidnapped her. Of course. And these guys who end up, spoilers, working for Lex Luthor, shoot some of these, the people there. Some of these guys who kidnapped her, they actually shoot. Oh, so the warlords get shot. Yeah. And so the Superman's like, oh, I saved Lois and I helped the people here. And they're like, oh, but so many people died. But they were shot with bullets. Like, how do you, how, there seems to be this leap in logic where it's like Superman doesn't have guns, doesn't use guns, doesn't need guns. And these people are killed with bullets. And yet Superman's getting blamed for it. And there's no point in the movie where anyone's like, why? Like, I don't get it. How, how is, how is he getting caught up in this? It's very frustrating, and uh, one of the things I, I put on Facebook after I saw it was it's like an utterly joyless movie. There's not a smile to be had in the whole thing. There's one joke, and it's eye-rollingly lame. Like, it doesn't even el- elicit a response from the audience, because it's so ham-fisted. You know that scene in the Civil War trailer where Spider-Man shows up and takes the... the, the Captain America. Yeah, he takes shield. the shield. Hello, everyone. <laughs> that one second of footage is more fun than this entire movie. And there's a place for that. There's a place for Grim and Gritty. I just don't know if it's in a Superman movie. Or in a superhero movie whatsoever. Yeah. They're so colorful. Like yeah. The superheroes have always been about an ideal, about people we want to be. You know, it's about, about being better than yeah. ourselves. Even the dark ones are still about trying to make a difference. It sounds like they really fell apart on this. Yeah. Now, some of the, the good things that come out of it are Wonder Woman. She is great in it. She seems to be a pretty good portrayal of that character. Very lucky, considering she's getting her own movie after this. Yeah, and uh, this is a small thing, but she has uh, her piece of music that signifies her, the Wonder Woman theme, best piece of music in the movie. It's so different and actually has sort of a light tone to it. And she looks like she's having fun in the movie, which is something that can't be said for gritty, teeth-gnashing Batman and uh, super brow-furrowed and angry Superman. And the other one is The Flash. He shows up twice in the movie and hmm. is... Is it the same Flash from the television show? No. Ah. And it's that's a bit of a bummer for those of us who are fans of that TV show. But... He's he's another ray of light in this movie where he he seems to be actually using his powers to help people. There's like a shot where it's him, he's in a supermarket and he's going to get some milk and uh, it's like security footage. And then the, the store gets held up and then there's like a blur of light and the guy disappears and his gun is like spinning in the air. And then suddenly the flash is back looking at the milk again. And it's like the only heroic moment in the whole movie. The rest is like people punching each other for no reason and there's this one shining moment where the flash actually helps someone and that's the only time anyone does anything heroic in the movie so i guess the question comes down to is who do we blame i know people were really upset with affleck but it seems like this is more of a directorial thing that people are upset about is this more of a Zack snyder thing definitely like affleck is is good in the movie. I don't know if he's the best Batman I've ever seen, like some of the the internet posts have said. But he's he's a good, solid Batman. He's he's got the right look for an older Batman. He's got the right attitude. I, I generally liked him, but there's just not enough there to hold together. Here's the weird thing: it's two and a half hours long, and the plot is so muddled. You, after you leave the movie, you're like, "Why were they fighting again?" Like, it just doesn't quite gel together. Two and a half hours is a long time for nothing to happen. Yeah. Well, to wrap it up, I mean, we're presenting this early enough that a lot of people haven't seen it. Would you recommend that they go, or should this just wait for it to come out on digital and disc? Um, it depends on how much you like those characters. It's I. I feel like it's worth seeing in theaters. I may even go see it again just to get my thoughts even more cemented about it. But uh, if if you didn't like the trailers, don't bother seeing it in theaters. And that does seem to be the general reaction. Yeah. In any case, that's the top five things that we thought were pretty cool that happened this time around. If you've been listening to Geek Top 5, and we'll be right back with our guest segment, the Top 5 Random List. So please stay tuned. Welcome to the second half of our Geek Top 5 episode. Uh, This week, we have Shaggy Shanahan here with us to talk about his top five 
favorite video game <laughs> cheats from his childhood. So you can't see this at home. You had this like doubt in your face. What was this? It's, like, <laughs> it's a it's a complicated uh, list. At least the title of the list is complicated. <laughs> So Shaggy, as you know, author, YouTuber, sometime philosopher, you've spent a lot of time doing this kind of thing. You've built this up. I guess this sort of reflects something a little bit that you've really been interested in that really speaks to you more than you might expect from just... It's not just 30 lives, right? Yeah. Oh, oh okay. So I thought you meant, like, cheating in general. Like, you're a cheater, aren't you? You, just, you don't want to earn nothing the hard way. Well, maybe you know, this is a good opportunity for us to you know, have it explained to us. So. Okay, so the reason I brought this one up is not just because it's like, I'm opening up a magazine, oh, up, down, left, right. So we're not talking about Konami codes. Nothing so simple as um, kind of hacking. Well, I guess, I guess it's like anything that just simply modifies the game information. So like, I'm invincible now. It's like, I, what this list is more about is how we discover these particular cheats and how we apply them. So it is, I guess it's philosophical. <laughs> See? You were right. I usually am. <laughs> um, but I guess, I guess we'll start simple. Uh, so the first one I want to bring up was, uh, well, in, in the position of speaking in fifth before first, uh, I do want to bring up like a classic that uh, many of us may have ran into. It's the Super Mario Bros. 3, The White Blocks. Now you're thinking to yourself, what the, what, what are the White Blocks? I, I've, I've seen them. They're, they're just there. They're scenery. They're very nice. No. Right. They were much more than this, Graham. Just well, all right. So Mario Bros. Three is a two D side scroller. I guess the last proper Mario game on the NES back in the day, and all the scenery was kind of designed to look like it was a stage, a stage show. Like everything was kind of drilled into walls and things like that. So right. platforms and mushrooms and everything was kind of like propped up against a wall or something. So imagine, if you will, colorful blocks. <laughs> <laughs> Folks have played Super Mario. You get the idea. There's yeah. blocks floating in the air. Yeah. You can jump under them. You can jump on top of them and land on them. But the weird thing was, there were certain white blocks. Uh, I believe there's even. I think there's only two, to be honest, if I remember correctly. It was like in the first level and like the third level or something. There were a couple more scattered throughout the game. Maybe. But yeah, around three or one three is where you'd find. Yeah, it was just yeah. like a tower or a pillar colored white. Like uh, it was the only one in like the whole level too, which made it stand out. But the cheat was, if you stood on it and held down and crouched for like three, four seconds, you'd fall through it and then be backstage. You'd be like behind the scenery of the Mario level and then you could just run past all the bad guys, yeah. run past all the hazards. You have to jump over pits and stuff still, but... The camera angle didn't change It didn't anything. change, no. It it's still... The screen, everything about the level still looked the same, except Mario was behind it. And every once in a while you could like jump up and see yourself again, yeah. but Mario was always behind... The rest of the level. You're basically backstage in a weird way. And uh, and and the reason I had this to the list, because I wanted to have like a little story for everything, is I have no idea how I discovered how to do this. Because this is at a time I didn't have Nintendo power yet. There was no internet. I don't know how I learned to do this. And, and there, there's going to be a little lame story like that behind all these cheats. <laughs> but this is the one of just no answers. See, now I the, do not know how I figured it out and who told me and why I kept doing it every single time. I think the only reason I knew about it was because of like older kids who I knew who like, they're like kids of friends of my parents and we'd go over for like a Christmas party mm. and they would show me. And I honestly, I didn't even know it was just the white blocks because I never had an NES. I went right to the Super NES. So oh. I, would only, <laughs> I would only play NES games when I was at someone else's house. And so I don't, I just remember them showing that and being mind-blowing and check this out Graham yeah yeah. I'm a pro pretty much are you impressed I was very impressed (laughs) but the question then comes to like how how did they find out yeah well I mean at some level this is one of the things the Mario games do really well is they in a way they hold the player's hand to show you what to do there are situ- you know, if you just run without jumping, you're going to run into a Goomba and die. So you learn to press the jump button to proceed. One of the things I did in Mario 3 a lot was duck, because that made you less of a profile <laughs> for projectiles, whether it's hammers or fireballs or what have you. If you're crouched down, you're less likely to get hit. I'm fairly certain at some point I was probably crouching down on that block when all of a sudden, mm. and down you went. Maybe. Now, here's... I just going to go on a sidebar here for a second. You, you were talking about how the Mario games handheld you, but compared to a lot of games these days, nothing compares to the handholding that goes on now in games where it's like in the Telltale games or a lot of games where it's, there's a storytelling mode and you're walking through a room and the things you can interact with are uh, they get highlighted or, or there's something to right. distinguish them. Right. I was playing the Grim Fandango remaster recently on the PS4 and nothing gets highlighted. You just go around the oh, room yeah. pressing everything, hoping, yeah, 
hoping it'll activate something. You go, I like, you know, I remembered that I had to go outside and climb up to, into this guy's window to get there, but nothing I could see on screen was telling me to do that. So maybe I should amend my statement a bit. It's not so much hand-holding, which has such a negative connotation this way. Rather, it's very instructive in the opening levels, in the opening moments. It's still not carrying you, especially towards the end. You have to have mastered those skills by then. But it doesn't just sit you down with an instruction manual or a support character to tell you either, because they couldn't do that back well, in those it was days. A, the games taught you how to play them while you were playing them. Like it's a little more blatant now, where Assassin's Creed will give you like, here's how you use your right hand, here's how you jump, and or well, first-person shooters would be like, oh, you gotta crouch with me, son, walk through this uh, garage door. Or the, yeah, or the, the worst one in the world is the loading screen, where it just shows the picture of the controller and it <laughs> lists everything that all yeah. the different buttons do. There's like 97 lines yeah. to read. Like push A to do this, hold A to do this tap a to do this you get you can read maybe a third of it before the loading disappears <laughs> now back then they had to do it instructively and they did it and i suspect that this secret was probably discovered the same way maybe. and it comes in handy later you know like there is that i mean I, again i amend my earlier statement there was one in the first level <laughs> right before you get the first leaf you could do it there but it didn't do much later on you could do that and run backstage to the end of the level and you could get the warp whistle yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that. And then that's a whole other level of skipping. Now, and I wonder, if, were the war whistles, you think, were they for dev purposes? Were they there because the developers had to skip levels? I'm what sure that meant for? I'm sure that helped, but they, if all they were was, was to skip levels, it would have been a button code. I they were there so. because it was something cool. It was another neat way to get to the game. In Super Mario 3, you only have, if you know what you're doing and you know where the secrets are, you only have to get halfway through the first world to warp straight to World 8. Right, right. World Eight's really cool. (laughs) You have all the tanks and the planes, like all like the Cuba Army stuff. You have to do. Sometimes you can't sit down and play that game for three hours to get to World Eight. The reason I brought up the whole dev thing is because I know there was like a Sonic cheat that if you plug in like a second controller, it lets you like skip levels if you hold something down, and that was meant for like after the game was published and people had to like still mess around with it and test it because they don't have computer access. (laughs) They're literally hacking the game like anyone else could. You know, a secret. And, and that, you know, just to go back, that's kind of one of the origins of a lot of cheats and secrets. It's just accessing the devs, you know, tools to be like, ah, I want to live forever for this section so I can just see the you know, playthrough. Or, or because I'm expected to bug test level 5 in Contra, and yeah. nobody <laughs> can get to level 5 in Contra on three lives. It's impossible. <laughs> Man, the devs were cheating all along. I like that. I feel better now, actually. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> number four. All right, so number four. So this one, uh, not, well, it's not, not technically a cheat. It was more of a bug, but it was damn fun to use, and I'll give you my story of why I liked it. The Halo 2 Super Bounce. This was an interesting one, because online... Oh, so Halo 2 was the first Halo on Xbox to be online, correct? I believe. Yeah, yeah the first, first one was just... Yeah. yeah. So this was the first time that you were playing against the world, testing your metal. Um, but this also means... Cheaters, a bundle, you know, they're, they're all out there taking every advantage they can. And this was an interesting one where how super bouncing worked was you as your Master Chief or whatever the hell you were character would have to get crouch and get stuck under certain ge- geometry, certain scenery, uncrouch while still stuck, and then you're in a crouch position but not technically crouched, confusing the system, jump off of something, hit the ground in a special spot, and then you just bounce straight into the air, higher than anyone could hope to jump in a regular Halo jump. And then you can end up on scenery on rooftops and be the meanest sniper in the whole game. Right, so you're getting to places that the, the map creators never intended for you to be. Essentially, like there's no natural way to get there. I had to watch some YouTube videos of this because I had no idea what you were talking about <laughs> when you sent this. And I was watching it and I was like, I, I could not figure out how yeah. anyone knew how this worked. Like, how... This is partly why I bring this up, because the one I learned on was, um, I think I was watching people at the Zanzibar level, and what you had to do was break one of the windows in the Zanzibar building. This little triangle of glass was sticking along the side that if you crouch, you could jam yourself under, (laughs) uncrouch, go left, fall, hit the ground on this crack, and then go, whoop, straight up into the air, and then you and your whole team were on the rooftop of Zanzibar, just, like, sniping and shooting everyone completely unfair-like. And... The, and the reason, uh, the story behind this one, that I want to bring this up. Where else with Mario, I have no idea how, or maybe we naturally learned how to do the white blocks. With this, this was a moment of community, of of sharing of knowledge. Because one day, uh, because there's, there's super jumps on many levels. This was like Warlock, that weird circular one. One day, my whole team failed. I was alone. It was a four on four, like oddball. But you know, so it was one on four at that point. But the other team, they they didn't hunt me. They didn't. They weren't mean. They were they were bouncing. High into the sky, and I and I looked at them from the distance. I said, well, "What? 
what are they doing over there? <laughs> and I ran over there, and, and they welcomed me into their tribe, and they showed me the ways of the super bounce. Now, from what you're describing, I'm guessing so there was no chat in this situation. There was it just... was it was like you know like when you have like a, a silent angel figure who like guides you with a hand. It was like that. <laughs> Imagine that. Like they pointed me the way. So there were the angels <laughs> just in the guise of Master Chief. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But like, and that's why I added it to this list because this was like one of the few. Because nowadays, when I think of Halo Online, I'm like mute. I don't want to hear any of these kids. I'm done. I'm going to Splatoon. That's that's basically what I do now. But this was like um, the only like moment of community I recall, like in fondness in all and, of Halo. And like, did they do? I mean, obviously, it wasn't going to be much of a fun game if it was four on one. Yeah. So were they just killing time until the timer wore down, or or did they turn on you? No, it was it was a bouncy good afternoon. <laughs> Wonderful. Beautiful. <laughs> and this is why Halo 2 was the best of all the Halos. So, uh, once you learned that, did you start using it in combat situations? Uh, it's, it's there. It's, you know, it's, it's in the game. Hey, hey, Shaggy. You know? No judgment. <laughs> Alright, the judgment-free zone? A judgment-free zone. Man, it's fun sniping. You make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> you were that guy up there where we didn't know how to get there. Yeah. Just racking up a score. Well, when it's like, you know, a full 12, what was it, 6 on 6, or like 12 on, what was the biggest, 8 on 8? There's no time to guide the whole other team, because they're, <laughs> they're impatient. I could try to show them the way to the super bounce, but they would not listen. Or you could just super bounce and shoot them all, and yeah, then your problem is solved anyway. Yeah, I'd inspire them. Okay, yeah, I, I remember <laughs> being on the other end of this situation. I was definitely inspired. <laughs> that might have been the last time I ever played Halo 2. Inspired right in the head. Inspired right in the head. <laughs> so that's the Halo 2 Super Bounce. And it was, it was eventually, I think, wiped out with patches and stuff. So those days were short-lived, but they were, they were lovely. Very nice. All right, number three. <laughs> uh, so number three, and this one's kind of more obscure. and Well, not really, not the game. It's Diggong Racing, if you remember Mario Kart. It was like that, but with characters you don't really care about at all. Uh, like there's an alligator, a mouse. The rooster. Yeah, TikTok, the clock. Drumstick, actually, the Drumstick. rooster, which I always thought was a little macabre. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the one thing that made that game, like, I, I, I do not dare say better, but com, you know, competitive uh, in the Mario Kart I, realm was a variety it. of vehicles. I preferred it to Mario Kart 64. Mm. It had planes, it had yeah. hovercraft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Crazy diverse levels. Uh, build up you, your weapons, you build them up gradually. So if you got like one rocket, you get up into three rockets, or no, a homing rocket, and then like ten rockets. Uh, and this is all important to this story. Um, so, and, and it had adventure mode. It had, like, a story. You know, a yeah. single player goes around uh, basically doing all the levels, then doing them again, then doing them again for some reason. Collecting junk. Fighting bosses. Backwards. Fighting triceratops. Triceratops. What's more than one triceratops? Triceratops. Triceratopses. Dinosaurs. All that good stuff. But, you know, single player can be a daunting thing. Now, this initial thing I want to mention is definitely a treat, but it's not the treat I'm talking about, but it's necessary. After a while, I, I forget, but like all classic rare games, you'd unlock like the cheat menu. Like GoldenEye had like, ah, oh, big heads, paintball, and all stuff like that. Uh, golden guns for all your friends. Um, Diddy Kong Racing had that too, and it was stuff like, uh, like uh, probably unlimited weapons and unlimited boosts and things like that. But there was an interesting one. One of them was two-player adventure mode, which is interesting, because there was no two-player adventure mode formally on the menu. So you know, it'd just be a single screen, single player, you do all this hard work and win. But with this, you can add a second player. But what was interesting is no one actually cares about player two. Because the way it works is um, if, if you do certain modes, the vehicle you pick, everyone else picks that vehicle. So my cars, everyone's cars. You pick airplanes, everyone's airplanes. But no one, no one cared what player two did. So this is where the real cheat comes in. You guys want to like, come in close to the experience and listen to this. You do two player modes, see? You as player one, you pick cars, see? Player two picks airplanes. Yeah, now all of a sudden there's a human player the, game the only seen. one in an airplane and when you get those ten rockets I talked about player one could just drive backwards through the map and clean out the competition and player two could do that leaving player one easy street interesting so which player like if, if player two finished the three laps would that trigger the end of the race like would that player finish first it, it would um, but like planes aren't technically any faster than cars were as far as I'm aware but the point is while Player one is focusing on the race. Player two is focused on sabotage. And as long as one of you guys mm. won, 
you got your trophy, you got your medal, you unlock stuff, you move on. Right. Yeah. right. So I, it's having a ringer on the course. Yeah. This is a... <laughs> I played a lot of Diddy Kong Racing growing up, but this definitely never occurred to me. No, this is some wacky races. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guy with the oil on the side of the track. And yeah. Like, the race will be mine. Yeah. Like that. And the wheezing, chuckling dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's what Player 2 had to do. That was like you. A wheezy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a good strategy. <laughs> a good way to clear it in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. But inside, you know you didn't really do it. That's true. Well, like the first, like, how many, we beat games multiple times as kids, so like, when you race yeah. the cartridge, start again, right? So, so that's my Diddy Kong Racing two-player adventure mode sabotage cheats, um, which is, you know, and the reason I bring that one is because it's how one uses cheats, because you can easily you know, unlock, you know, uh, full speed mode, but this is, no, I still want to have all my abilities, I just want a friend on the inside. So in a way, you're tight saying you want to do it honestly, you just want to have someone else being yeah. dishonest yes. in your favor. Well, because none of the other characters would suspect. They're just like, that's the airplane! And I'd just be in first, be like, who is that masked man? <laughs> <laughs> all, the, <laughs> all the completely computer-controlled yes. anthropomorphic animals. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok was like, not again! You know, so. Conquer before he was dirty. Yeah. Because that would change it. Yeah, yeah. The race was fixed yeah. and found out. <laughs> I just want to add for the record that I guess I'm a sucker because I played through that entire game legitimately, <laughs> including like the reverse adventure mode that you had to do after, oh, and yeah. then all the time trials that you had to beat to unlock the clock character, yeah. also legitimately. I think it took me about two and a half years, but I did it all straight up above board, and it took with this strategy, it probably took you, what, a week? Well, yeah, it'll still take some time, but... TikTok was also on the menu. Unlocked. <sighs> <laughs> the race. <laughs> All right. What Sorry, else? I beat it legit too. Okay. I don't. I don't. My first move is, I need the prima guide. I'm going to beat this game on any way possible. No, I give it a good shake first, and then after a while, gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. All right, what do you got at number two? Number two, this one I'm kind of proud of because unlike a lot of the other ones, this one I figured out myself entirely. Oh my goodness! Is All it, right, this is a Shaggy Shanahan original creation. <laughs> this, is, this is exclusive. Get your pens and papers out. This one, this one's a humdinger. So we're going back to the Super Nintendo, which Graham apparently owned. I did. Did you ever own this game called Super Bomberman? I did. Well, no, I. <laughs> I definitely this played it. going so I, well. I, I, yeah. at least, I at least rented it. You rented it. You All certainly right. played it at my house. Yeah. So Super Bomberman, it's basically you know, the, the single player mode. Let's just talk about that for now. Um, you're, you show up, you're Bomberman. It's a, what was it, isometric, I guess is the view. It's it mostly top just down. top down. Top down, you go around, put bombs in front of blocks, walk away, they blow up. You get to walk through it. Eventually you'll pick up more unlockables, more bombs, bigger explosive ranges, blah, blah, blah. But it's, after, after you play them so many times, trying to slowly go through these blocks is a bit of a grind. Okay, so, mechanics of the game. You can accidentally kill yourself with your own bomb. That's just, you know, that's part of the puzzling, that's part of the multiplayer. It's just bombs blow up in straight lines, so you have to kind of stay out of their way. In fact, that's probably the, the most common way of yeah. dying in that game. Is you will by far. Yeah. Is your, or or where you, you're next to the block and you put a bomb down and realize you blocked <laughs> your escape. Right. And now you can't go anywhere and you have to sit watching the fuse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's one of the worst feelings very, in the exactly. world. Very wily coyote. Um, oh yeah, and the goal of each level was one block is hiding your escape. Or the you exit up, to the next. But you probably have three bombs in that area, so once you reveal the exit, you're like, oh damn it, and then you it blow up the exit and then more bad guys come out of it, and you can't exit until all the bad guys are gone. Another thing is bombs can blow each other up, and this adds crazy <clears throat> chain reactions where you left a trail of bombs by mistake, one bomb went off early, blew up all the others, you're dead because you just dropped a bomb. Now, where this becomes interesting, um, when you respawn, you're invincible for like 5 seconds, 10 seconds, you're kind of blinking white. A lot of games did this, so it's like as soon as you spawn, you can't die right away. Tie this fact to the fact that bombs blow each other up. What I figured out, what I surmised with this, <laughs> not thinking this, I was just doing it. If while you're invincible, you drop one bomb, and then drop another bomb right away, that first bomb will blow up that second bomb. Basically the nature of it. Okay. But then, if you just keep hitting the bomb button, you're physically dropping a bomb like every millisecond, and then the bomb keeps blowing up the next bomb that comes, so you become a walking ball of fire. So you're just dropping the bomb into the explosion that's yes. already present. And creating uh, another explosion, so you create this perpetual explosion machine. That is you. Right. So you walk around the level, surrounded with explosions... Clearing out every block as fast as you can before your invincibility stops. I had a dream like this once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And so How did that end? <laughs> it was a blast. Hey! So does your invincibility ever run out? After like five to ten seconds, but you'll see yourself blinking white. And so in those ten seconds, you're going to run around the map and clear out all the bad guys. Bad guys that take five hits, you're like one, two, three, four, five. Walls that are thicker, one, two, three. Bosses, especially boss battles, giant clown heads. They're going around. Okay. You get right under them and just go. So speed that process up. Do you? Are you? I mean, how many lives do you have? Can you only do this a couple of times in a playthrough? I think you you get well, like you get like three lives and you collect more as you go along, right? So if it's like you you don't you know you don't want to intentionally die, but if you do, this is a great opportunity. And, and um, you, I don't think you're blinking when you first spawn though, but definitely when you die. Because you also lose everything. Like, you're like, oh, I got nine bombs, or time bombs, remote bombs, I got super punch, I can run fast, you accidentally die, you got nothing. Mm. So you might as well come back at God. <laughs> so you sort of see this as vindication. Yeah. It says you've risen again, and you're going to make them pay. Yeah, you're like Gandalf the White now. And you ah. just blow shit up. <laughs> just like in the movie. So, you discovered this on your own. Yes. And... Clearly, has boosted your self-esteem to this very day. Yes, I tell everyone about this tale. And Pretty much the wait. first thing, you, when you meet someone, <laughs> I'm the guy who discovered the Bomberman blowy uppy thingy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I put, once again, I want each of these cheats to have, like, a more personal side to it. And I was just proud of this one because I didn't read it, no one showed it to me, and it... You know, I wasn't even thinking of it as a mechanical thing. I was just, I realized, like, oh, shoot, I can just keep doing I mean, but, I, I, and it, Shaggy definitely wasn't the only person who found it, because I, I saw some videos on YouTube that showed people doing it. It was pretty neat. Yeah, but YouTube came out in, like, 2000-something. This is back in, like... I know, I'm not, I'm not trying to <laughs> take like anything... like, 93. Believe me, I'm not trying to take anything away from you, but it, yeah. it's definitely a glitch that uh, other people were able to exploit. And it's interesting to see how, like you said, uh, you know, pre-internet... These things sort of yeah. made the rounds. Well, that, that was the same with like, the Mortal Kombat fatalities weren't like on the system. It was kind of like someone knew it, and then they told some other kid, and then that kind of spread. Yeah, there was that cool guy in the arcade who yeah. knew how to do everything. The backwards hat. And yeah. like the part of it that's that. interesting to me is that like Super Bomberman was okay. I mean, it was a fine game, but this is the interesting part that yeah. you remember. Yeah, like right. th- th- that's the memory is discovering this cool exploit. They all had really good boss theme song. It was like da 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 da. And then you just did the bomb thing. To the beat. It was kind of like... So you only heard five or six notes of the theme song, followed by a series of explosions. Memorable tune. All right. Well, then let's hear it. Let's hear the last one. What is the number one? I do want to do number one. Can I just throw out some quick honorable mentions? No. All right. Quick. Very quick honorable mentions. Mortal Kombat 3 had this code where it allowed you to, you know, because when you uppercutted someone, they flew up in the air and you're kind of frozen until they landed. This allowed you to run right after an uppercut, and then you just uppercut, run, uppercut, run, uppercut, run, and just juggle them until they're dead. Cheap as hell, but it was fun. Let's take you back believe to... Believe me, as someone who sucks at fighting games, that was not fun, because I was the one who was always being juggled. <laughs> Great times. Hey, who loves the Nagano Winter Olympics? 98. What? On the 64. <laughs> not anyone. Oh, was it? I bought it for some reason. But man, was this worth it. There was one cheat on Ski Jump where this would get you no points, but it got you the biggest audience applause. If you slammed the B button like hell during Ski Jump, which didn't seem to do anything, your skier would launch off the jump, scream, tilt, land on his head, slide to the finish line, and then the audience would go nuts. <laughs> All right. More of an Easter egg than a cheat, but felt good. Did that game have hockey on it? It did, actually. No, you had to buy that stuff. It was <sighs> Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey, and then they just paint-swapped it oh, to be okay. Nagano hockey. Unfortunate. <laughs> Uh, quickly back to Halo 2 Halo 2 sword jumping it was just a fun thing to do more of a, another glitch where if you were second player in a car you have shotgun and you had a sword and you swung at someone and then that person ran far away as soon as you got out of the car you would launch through the air right at them flying uh, through the sky because there's a tracking mechanic with that right? right if you're a certain distance when you swing the sword it's like it brings you in like yeah. you're lunging at them it's like a tractor beam yeah, yeah. it's not terribly useful in a multiplayer match because it's more of a fun mess around, but it was just a good memory. Once again, wiped out with updates and mods. And uh, the final uh, honorable mention, of course, the Game Genie, if anyone had that, which... Oh, yeah, love If you had no genie. skill, this thing was the greatest, and the biggest tribute, of course, is Mega Moon Jump, which is great for Mario because if you held jump, you'd just stay in the sky, and then you could skip the whole level. But with all that, what could possibly be at number one? Number one is the one that I think we all, everyone figured out. And that's why it's on the list, because everyone loved this game. Even if they weren't born back then, they know they love this game. It's Mario Kart 64, 
the Rainbow Road bridge jump. Right, you really make me top. feel like crap because I definitely did not figure this. How did you not figure this? I, I, <laughs> I played the game legitimately. There was a track. You went on the track. If you go off the track, that's bad. So I did not go off the track. <laughs> <laughs> I swear. Was I presumed? Oh, okay. Well, let's just explain this first. Rainbow Road, very last uh, track in Mario Kart 64. Very fine kart racing game. Everybody knows Mario Kart. (laughs) Apparently, yes. And many of us have been traumatized by Rainbow Road. Rainbow Road is the longest race in the whole track. It was still three laps in the modern incarnations. They made it two, which is funny enough, feels really short now. Um, But it was three really agonizing long laps in the swirly, twisty track and chain chomp running around. But right off the top... You start on the top of a hill, and you just go down the hill, and if you just jumped, you just float all the way to the bottom of the track, which is nice and well. But, if you jumped and hard steered left, you'd fly into deep space, and land maybe a good minute ahead on the track. Um, because mm-hmm. Mario Kart didn't, you know, though Mario Kart had out of bounds and things like that, that's only if you kind of fell, like, way off, you know, their possible landscape. Like, if you went... If, if you fall in a hole, you're gone. If you fall in the water, you're gone. In a sense... Like, it made sense when the tracks were on the ground. Because yeah. then you had a loop, and they set, you know, the box that defined what the stage was there. Rainbow Road is kind of like... In 64, for sure, is kind of like a roller coaster. It's got hills and valleys, yeah. and it swirls around under itself. So, what defined the era you could be in was a three-dimensional box. Mm. So you weren't out of that box if you jumped You're off the hill. still within the whole course. You didn't leave the map. But if you jumped off and hard turned right, you just floated for maybe a good seven, six, five seconds. Like it felt I longer. think it was less time than for, that. It felt like a journey <laughs> it, it, of it, discovery. It, felt, it was tough to measure because the whole time you were going, woo! Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, well, three things are going on in your head. First of all, you know, all those other schmucks are just racing normally and like, because that game was rigged. There's always the same two people are always right on you. It's like, oh, this time Luigi and Toad will always be on your case. So when you did that, you know they're just burning on the inside to catch up to you. And you're just like, see ya. Um, the other thing is the fact if you're going to land at all was a big risk. Because if you oversteered or understeered, you're falling into the blackness of space. That felt less good. <laughs> and even worse than that, if you just hit the, hit the ground wrong, you might just bounce off the track once you landed and fly into further deep space. That raises a lot of questions with regards to, like, inertia in a vacuum. That's serious <laughs> scientific concerns I didn't know Nintendo had applied to the physics. But when you landed it, and you and you see on your little mini-map everyone's so far behind, just not no chance they're going to get up, and then you do it again for the second lap, and again for the third lap, and you get that trophy. And you know that trophy means more than just winning a legitimate race. <laughs> in, this, in this one case, I will agree with you. Because sometimes Rainbow Road, especially in Kart 64, it was not playing fair. No. That track... And besides the rubber banding that's part of that game, like the idea that no matter how far ahead you are, the computer will accelerate its players. So there's always something to do to keep it interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. But besides that, I'm certain... That some element of this has said it's the last level. We want to give the player a challenge. Looks like he's doing too well. Let's just give the people behind him like four red shells and uh, wipe them out. Uh. I am guarantee you that was in the code. So in this case, <laughs> that cheat to skip ahead to that further part of the track that was justice. <laughs> Thank you. This is why I saved it for number one. <laughs> Absolutely, that felt wonderful. And it's a shame because uh, future kart games like even um, Crash Team Racing, which was actually really good, came on PlayStation. It, it didn't let you jump off tracks. Even if you're literally above the later part of the track, it would be like, oh, out of bounds, you do this legit. Yeah, because they want you to play the game the way it was meant to be played. Design a better track, then. <laughs> Don't give me <laughs> shortcuts I can't use. But they're like, oh, use this shortcut with arrows and barrels that you're meant to use. I'm like, no, I want to make my own shortcuts. And that's what this is all about in the end. It's making games your own experience through cheating. You're very, very literally taking the path less traveled. (laughs) (laughs) All I'm saying is Jacques Villeneuve would not approve. You know, if he went off course in F1 racing, whatever the heck Jacques Villeneuve actually races in. Jacques Villeneuve does not have to worry about red shells. (laughs) (laughs) Or heaven forbid, blue shells (laughs) Alright, so do you remember how you discovered this cheat? Well, I assumed everyone did Because of just the physics of the game Like, you'd you'd spend hours just bouncing around And trying to find shortcuts and stuff And here's the question to you Did, you know, there's, there's the phrase, you know, play video games But did you ever play in video games? What I mean by this 
is like, did you ever explore the worlds beyond what you're supposed to do and try to like get to places you weren't supposed to and see things? Because like, Mar uh, the the Royal Raceway in Mario Kart 64, the castle from Mario Super Mario 64 is there. Yeah, it's it's not a shortcut. It's not anything, but you can drive up the path and visit it. You can do donuts on the front lawn. You can just drive around for no reason just because it's there. And that's what we did as kids. We just, like, once we beat a game so many times, we just started, like, messing around in the game and just, like, adventuring and exploring and just seeing what else was in there. And mm. partly, this is partly, you know, the version of that, I guess, is the Rainbow Road Jump, where it's like, I'm, I'm getting crazy good air here, but do I just want to go straight? What else is out there? <laughs> in that instance, I'd be like, it's just space. I don't want to see what's out there. <laughs> All that's going to be out there is a lack of You have all this Star Trek shit in this room. Where's your sense of adventure? If I had a spaceship, if it was Mario's spaceship, <laughs> Mario the Final Frontier, maybe I would. But it's yeah. Mario Kart. It's racing. Karts are meant race... to be on the ground. Yeah, exactly. You race on the track. You don't race to the stars. I mean, you would hate all the later versions. They added like parachutes and stuff to all the cars. And they go underwater now, too. I feel Mario Kart peaked with the Super Nintendo. Dude, Mario, Mario Kart 8, man. I don't 8 know. is the fun. I will say it. I will say it is even above 64. Yeah. Mario Kart 8 is jaw-droppingly good. I've that, played it. It's good. Oh, it's that fun. Drift feels so good. It's a, it's a tremendous game. It is. And if you prefer the Super Nintendo version <laughs> to it, you are a fool. Well, the Super Nintendo one was like one of the few that I actually owned, so I was actually good at it, which helps it in my memory. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for your list, Shaggy. Uh, would you like to tell the good people where they can find more Shaggy action? Uh, mostly right now, I guess, just the Twitter. Look up Shaggy Shan on Twitter. Uh, same for Tumblr. Just search that up on the Googles and everything comes up. But uh, just recently, as the moment of recording this, uh, we made our webcomic series, my, uh, me and my sister's comic series, Silly Kingdom, uh, available online for you guys all to read. Absolutely free. Yeah, feel free to check out the shop there. But absolutely free to read online. Um, and let's be clear, there's a couple Silly Kingdom books now. The first one's available online, yes. but the two, they're out and they're published, and they're both h yeah. hilarious adventures. Good um, quality comic books. You can get them at some <laughs> local, for the whole family. local Toronto comic um, stores, too. All right, well, folks, you've been listening to Geek Top 5, the geekiest, toppiest, fivest podcast there is. <laughs> uh, special thanks to our guest, Stephen Shaggy Shanahan. And also special thanks to Ben Sound at bensound.com. Our Creative Commons use has allowed us to use for our theme song. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you to Stella Simeonova, our webmistress. Who will be putting all this up so that you can get at it. Um, in the meantime, if you had any questions, concerns, or anything else you want to do, you got a theme song you think would suit us better, you got something you want to complain about what we said, or you want to call Shaggy out for his horrible cheating ways... Wait. I thought we <laughs> said it was justified at this point. I thought we agreed. There are a number of ways to get in touch with us. You can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. You can go to ge at geektop5 on Twitter. And you can go to facebook.com slash geektop5. And there it is. We'll hope to hear from you, and we'll see you next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers.